of Atlantis. Your foul species is hereby banned from the seas and oceans of the world. Any who enter the waters will face my wrath. Imperious Rex! Hello, and welcome to a brand new episode of Third Degree Burn. I am Tim Elliott, and I'm once again here with Kirk Greenfield. And we are closing in on the end of our coverage of Namor. What are we covering today, Kirk? Again, we've been doing these in dyads in uh, pairs of issues. 23 and 24 is on the docket for today. And the next one, not real sure how we're going to address this, but 25 is the end of his artwork. And then he also writes the script for about the next six issues. So uh, today is 23 and 24. Uh, any name or news that we need to pass along? I can't think of anything as we record um, first of the year. No, I don't. There's, I haven't heard of anything about cinematically, and I'm not reading current comics, so I don't know what he's doing in the comics currently. So, uh, I've heard a couple of rumors or seen some posts about the Fantastic Four. Uh, generally, the themes have been about how Sue is being portrayed as, um, I'm not sure of the right word here, but she's she's going out, she's straying outside the marriage. And apparently, if I can trust what I'm seeing on Facebook, and I'm not sure that I can, the, the discussion seems to be that she makes a pass at Ben, she makes a pass at Namor, she makes a pass at just about everybody, um, and people are very upset at her depiction because they say this isn't who the character is. This is poor writing on the part of whoever's the, um, the script writer right now. And so I don't know whether Namor is involved or not, or if this is going to turn out to be a scroll that's lost their mind. I really don't know, but that's the only thing that I've heard, and I really don't know. If is any... that for the upcoming film? I don't think so. I think this is something that's being published right now. Oh, okay. Time in the Fantastic Four. A storyline or a character depiction, um, but fandom it seems to be a bit uncomfortable with it. And well, I would, yeah, I would, I, I don't agree uh, or disagree. I, I do know for the cinematic universe that they have. There were rumors, and I think the casting has been uh, set that it is going to be Pedro Pascal will be Reed Richards, and I think Vanessa Kirby, and I'm not familiar with her work, will be Sue. Uh, the kid from Stranger Things is going to be uh, Johnny Storm, and I don't can't remember who is going to be Ben Grimm. But somebody pointed out that whoever the actor is, he will be probably digitally inserted, so it won't be uh, he won't well, be it'll be a, yeah he'll be in like a mocap suit, and they'll just they'll use his voice more than anything else. Um, but that's interesting. But I did hear that Sue is going to be more of the leader of the group. So she'll be more prominent instead of Reed. So it'll be more focused on her. Interesting. So we'll, we'll, we'll see how that, um, that goes. Uh, let me ask you this, Kirk. Since this is our the issue you're fixing to go over, this is our last. We've been in Kunlun for, what, two issues now, maybe three? Mm-hmm. And... We haven't really talked about it. And, you know, you you watched, uh, there's a film called Lost Horizon. Yes. That, uh, Roy, I think Roy Thomas said he has was influenced him 
on creating the city of Kunlun. And I watched, I finished watching it last night. And it's a, it's a pretty good film. I recommend it. It's by Frank Capra. It's 1937. Um, but it is, deals with Shangri-La, which yeah. is a city. It's not a mystical city, but it's a city in hidden up in the Himalayas that you can't get to because you have to get through, go through some mountain pass. But it's basically like a utopia. You know, it's, it's uh, very idyllic. It's, uh, there are no uh, wants or needs. It's uh, everybody lives a very, very long time because of the uh, the way they. I think the way they put it is there is no like stress. There's no worries and stress of the outside world, which just right. causes the, people to. The storms are raging around the outside. This is a, a an island. A utopia is not a bad word for it. Yeah, uh, and that's entered our popular culture. I think the uh, the name of the land that we're talking about, Kunlun, I believe that's the name of the mountain range that they drop in that movie. But I'm not a hundred percent sure. There of that. is there actual there is an actual mountain range in China called Kunlun, but they spell it without the apostrophe and out the hyphen. Uh, and then also Kunlun in Chinese mythology does represent some type of mystical place or a magical unknown place. So. That's obviously where Roy Thomas was pulling from in mm-hmm. that film. Um, stars Roger Col- uh, Roger Coleman. Roger Coleman. It's 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 a good film. It's Conrad. very fake. Conrad. Yeah, he plays a uh, Conrad uh, Howard Conrad. I can't remember his name now, but it's very Frank Capra like. So if you're used to his work, it's like that. But uh, it's, it's you can watch it for free on Tubi. Yeah, it's a classic, but uh, it's a little long and it's a little slow moving in spots. But, uh, you know, a black and white classic that uh, forms the inspiration. Also, we've mentioned this before, but there's a 1973 musical version that is essentially the same story, completely different cast. I think they combined one or two of the characters, but it is a musical and I don't think it works. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, I don't think it works as well. It's uh, music by Burt Backrack, but uh, <laughs> it's almost laughable in some spots. And it's funny because that's the one that I remember that I had known since I was a teen because I heard that they were remaking and I watched it and it was okay, but I hadn't seen it until I rewatched it just in the last month. And the just doesn't, the, the original is better. Doesn't hold up. Well, that. to your point, the, the name Shangri-La has become uh, is po- it's become pop culture reference. So even if you don't know the film, you know probably that reference to somebody says, oh, this is Shangri-La, knowing that's a very utopian, idyllic, peaceful, right. you know, like Xanadu or something like that. Some yes. Like that. But, um, so check it out. It's, it's actually a pretty good film, but it is it is long. It's a little over two hours. Okay, shall we start? I am ready. I have um, a summary here. I know you do synopsises. I do uh, summaries. Uh, this is Namor number 23. Unto, no, I always stumble on this phrase. <laughs> like unto a thing of iron. Put a pin in that. I want to come back to that very briefly about that expression. Okay, words and pictures by John Byrne. 
inks by Bob Wyasek, lettering by Clem Robbins. This is a change. I don't know who Clem Robbins is or why they lettered this one. Either. That's a change. Joe Rossis, coloring, editing by Terry Cavanaugh, editor-in-chief Tom DeFalco, and Submariner, created by Bill Everett. This is a change, a $1.25 cover price. Uh, and we need to talk about that as a possible reason for uh, some changes in the series here. The cover shows Namor cradling a swooning misty knight in the background as a close-up of Iron Fist's raised hand is bursting out of some green slime bubble. The issue begins with an emaciated Iron Fist floating in a bubble as he is not dead. Instead, his thoughts go back to how he came to Kunlun and was treated by his master, the Thunderer. While he meditated afterwards, he was drawn into the water and investigated by plunging in. He drifts there for perhaps as much as a year until his coma is disturbed by Namor falling back against his pod and recognizing him, as was depicted in just about the final scene of last issue. Namor sees that all the inhabitants of Kunlun are housed in these individual pods and surmises that that is to be the fate of Namor and his two companions, Misty Knight and Cullen Wing. Namor fights against the Hyacinth, outworlder alien, whatever the name is, who regrows limbs as fast as they are torn off. Though Namor briefly avoids him, roots or shoots spring out of the ground around him as a living cage and collapse upon him. Cut to New York City, where Lady Crichton is supervising the final clearing of the Mars Tower, as Oracle has dismantled the Mars Corporation and removed its assets. Phoebe Mars is railing at this and attempts to assault Jacqueline, but the former invader sidesteps her and flips Phoebe, chiding her as she does so. Phoebe storms off to the empty executive office with the shattered door, where she stoops over the blood-soaked spot where her brother died a few issues ago. She laments that she needs his help, that she can't do this alone. When she looks up, she sees the silhouette of Desmond Mars looking in at her, backlit in the doorway. She runs to the figure, but it walks out of view, and when she bursts through the doorway, it's nowhere to be found. Only the empty, deserted outer lobby of the former Mars Corps awaits her. And she and we don't know what to make of this. Meanwhile, a one-page insert shows Namor Rita working out in an exercise gym, as she says she's as good as can be expected. She's dressed in the height of 1990s exercise spandex. She remarks to Jackie, who has walked in to check on her, that she can't feel Namor at all, as if he's gone. Well, Namor is unconscious and subdued in Kunlun, being carried by the plants to a plant pod. Misty Knight awakens from her trance and uses her bionic arm to tear away from the enveloping plants, as they prepared to place her in a pod for digestion as well. She says one chance was all they get, as she fights her way to Iron Fist and pounding on the outside of the clear pod, she cries out for Danny as the plants encircle her and bear her away again. In the pod, Iron Fist stirs and focusing his chi, I hope that's how you say it, he summons the Iron Fist effect and rejuvenates. Looking restored as a human, he strikes out and escapes his pod. Misty is delighted to see him alive again as he assaults the plant people and frees her from their grip. Then he collapses and she rushes to him. 
Perhaps he wasn't as rejuvenated as we thought. Cut to the overgrown mansion outside New York City where a stalking battle is being waged on the grounds between the silhouette of Wolverine and a green nondescript human form. Logan wins the contest, having slashed the plant figure to bits, but he is still held in thrall by Plant Man Smithers and the Plant King. The nude figure of Wolverine has a vine harness attaching him to the hive mind, and his eyes are blank. Smithers gloats that their enemy has become their greatest weapon. Next, what's happened to Iron Fist? What is the scheme of the Plant Man, and can Wolverine escape his thrall? That's next issue in Green War. Good synopsis. Very good. Uh, real quick, if they revealed at all how the the hyacinth, it's not, I'm going to just start using that word for the hyacinth, or man it to, I mean, we've seen the control vine. It's like a remote control cable. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But we don't know how they take over. I guess it's just the fact that they're enveloped in these vines. They don't explain how they mind control anybody. And I don't know if it's ever revealed, even the next issue, how they um, can take, you know, because this is the same si- situation in the previous issues where we saw the Thunderer was controlled when he, they showed up in Kunlun and he attacked them until they severed the vine, basically right. severing his remote control. Well, no, they never describe it, but it's yeah. the war between plants and the plant kingdom and the animal kingdom. Um, you know, and I don't know what needs to be explained except, the, you know, our yeah. hero wandered into a field of poppies or they, they became drugged by the flowers. So that's obviously how they put you under. And then the vines, you know, in some capacity, yeah. you know, it's comics. It's, uh, right. they, took, uh, they just did it. Just happened, right? What do you think of um, Burns' artwork on the emaciated Iron Fist? I thought it looked pretty nice. Uh, he seems to surge back and forth, as I recall. I don't have it open in front of me, but the emaciated uh, Iron Fist looks pretty creepy, um, and it's a perfect explanation why he's been out of action for X number of months. Right. Uh, the fact that he can rejuvenate so quickly is a bit of a surprise, but it's in the caption boxes that they describe how he calls upon his power. And as it manifests itself, he very quickly puffs back up, so to speak. Well, I uh, think it explains that the pod has been drawing energy from him, and somehow he's able to reverse that. So he's able to pull the out the power back into himself, and that's why he's able to rejuvenate uh, as he's generating his his iron fist, which allows him to break out of the pod. Um, that's a nice splash page, too. Um, I was getting a little, I don't want to say bored with this issue, but uh, it seemed like an awful lot of time was spent on Danny floating and remembering and, and reliving or recapping what happened to him. I know it had to happen. You know, this is Burns resetting of the clock and explanation. And so that's very important. Um, but that just seemed to go on a long time because we knew he was going to escape. He has to. Um, that's where the story was going to lead. So I, I just thought it kind of dragged on just a little bit. But I did note on one page where they have on the left side of the page an emaciated iron fist. And then in the, across the page on the right, 
he's rejuvenated somewhat. And then the bottom tier of panels is actually a continuation of his emaciated hand on the left and then having it manifest the iron fist um, phenomenon in the bottom right. And I thought that was an interesting layout for the page. I thought it was uh, pretty effective to, uh, to communicate what had happened, how that was, was going down. Yeah. Well, he, uh, yeah, I agree. It, this is burn, uh, having him, uh, having been killed in, uh, his own book and then burn wanting to bring him back. This is burns kind of long way of explaining how, you know, what's happening to him, where he's been. Um, he's basically retconning all of this to bring him back. Cause we get a full page of kind of, I guess the recap of those issues where he suffers the radiation poisoning, which was what ultimately kills him. And then they have this dreamlike state that he's in that he's been floating in this pod for, this says months. So I don't know. He doesn't, to your point, doesn't know. He could have been there a day, a week or a year until Namor kind of, uh, bumps him. And then that, then we get more of the, uh, that's what we discovered that the, they basically got, there are various bodies in these summer more, um, uh, decayed than others as these pods are feeding off of them. And probably iron fist might last longer because he does have the power of the iron fist, but, um, and Namor goes after him. Um, on the third page where he's uh, meditating after being treated by his master, he's mm -hmm. meditating on the shore of the waters. And if I can spot this fast enough, he had been warned to stay out of the waters by his master. Yet he ignores that and dives into it. I never got an explanation for why he was warned not to dive in, but obviously, you know, it, it's the entry into the pods. He's he's been taken by the the waters, if you want to say that. But it just it was kind of interesting because at first I when I first skimmed this, I thought the water was life giving and that it was important, and that's why he dove in to see what's going on. But something in the caption, and I can't find it here. Oh, well, here's at the bottom. He says, uh, knowing your shape, your healing vision might take. He cautioned you against the dangers of entering the imaginary pool, the imaginary pool. He says, you did not entirely understand why this was forbidden. And but, you know, alone in that strange place, that's, you came to blah, 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 blah. Right. And that's so, not that's not explained, um, except that they he does feel guilt over that he feels the destruction of. Kunlun was his fault because it was destroyed by the brother of the dragon he had to destroy to gain the Iron Fist. So he thinks it was his fault. And but I don't know what relevance that has to him jumping into. Um, he says, consumed by guilt, seeking an end to the pain and troubles of your life, you hurl yourself into the disappearing pond. Maybe he thinks he's kind of committing a type of suicide to... Uh, because he's racked by guilt or um yeah i didn't get things. that I, I, I don't know i, I mean he's trying to save reverse the situation or find out what the cause of the evaporating water was uh, aren't the high synth plants uh raiding earth to to steal their water Do no they clear? they just want to they basically want to destroy all the animal kingdom 
They want to destroy. So they want. It's not necessarily. They're not there to steal our water. They're just there to. They, you know, I guess they feel that they've almost uh, read the uh, the. I don't know what the, where Kunlun is. That I don't think we've got got a name for that planet or that dimension. It's like a pocket dimension. Yeah. And they think they have they've succeeded there, and now they want to, with the plant man's help, create a beachhead on Earth, and then they will invade and destroy all the humans um, on Earth. I guess they see uh, the animal kingdom as their natural um, enemy. You know, it's it's a uh, there's a I thought about this last night when I forgot through reading these. There's a Doctor Who Fourth Doctor episode called, I believe it's the Seeds of Death or the Seeds of Doom, because there's two very similar. Anyway, it's a Tom Baker episode, and there is a creature in there called the the um, Chronoid, and it's a plant. It's a it's like a pod that erupts and infects a man. <clears throat> Spoilers for fifty year old show. Uh, it infects a man. He becomes like a plant creature, and then it keeps growing. And it eventually, and the doctor explains, when this thing lands on a planet, it infects all the rest of the plants, and it eats, consumes all the animal life on that planet. So of course he has to stop it. So it's very similar to to these, the hyacinths here. They want to uh, destroy all human, animal kind, you know, any kind of animal or human, yeah. mammal, whatever and just leave themselves in control of the planet. So that's why they've constantly been fighting against the the humans that settled Kunlun for and I, I read that that apparently Kunlun started with a spaceship crashed. They somehow uh some kind of a, a malfunction or something created a portal and they went into this pocket dimension. They crashed. They built a city around the spaceship and that is what became Kunlun. Well, the Hyacinth were already there. So there was a there was a kind of an uneasy truce between the two, but there was always uh, tension and aggression between the two. So now they are, and I guess occasionally they come back and try to fight, fight back. So that's what this is. They are trying to take over what they feel is their rightful planet. Truly, they were there first. And now they want to spread to Earth. So that's what their whole and then and and then when and my issue we'll talk about their connection with Plant Man a little more. Yep. Um, but this is uh, you're right. And I, on how much they spent on um, Danny Danny's uh, kind of um, dreamlike state, he spends a lot of time on Phoebe Mars. You know, we're seeing the that Oracle has bought Mars Corp because Mars Corp was. Um, destroyed after it tried to go after Stark, and Stark kind of just destroyed them. So Oracle just bought them out, and now they're, you know, they're selling off all their stuff. And Phoebe thought Namor was going to help her and get, as I guess, get back on her feet, not just kind of take over and and gut her company. So we get about three or four pages of just her dealing with. Um, uh, one her her anger at um Jacqueline at her taking over, and her realization that she says she couldn't 
she feels she you know she was wrong she couldn't run the company without him and i think the silhouette she sees is her imagination i don't think that's a person i think that's meant to be that she thinks she sees the shadow of her brother and if you want to get even more metaphysical she lived in the shadow of her brother for years good and, one uh I think that's it, and that you know, and the blood stain is a little. I think maybe they might have <clears throat> they might have cleaned that up, but um, uh, you would think by now that that would have been addressed. But you, the door to the uh, the inner office there is still shattered, where the uh, Punisher had blown the lock off. So, yeah. um, well, he, and he it, spent a lot of time. There's like five pages devoted yeah. to this sequence, and, and, uh, and therefore. I'm not willing to dismiss it. It he put a lot of effort and time into this um, to set the stage for whatever this next phase is that we're going into. And Initially, I don't... yeah, I thought she might have been losing it. That that you know he's not really there. That she's she's projecting. On the other hand, I also had several other different possibilities that this could evolve into. But let's not get into that now. We'll right. wait later. Right, Desmond. Did he? Did he? Did he fake his death? We don't. We don't know. But it may be burned. This is a burn. He she he created this character, so yep. he's a little more protective of this. So he's spending more time with her. But uh, I wanted to also ask you. But this is weird. When you first see uh, the workers are taking boxes out, and um, Phoebe and Jacqueline are in, in this area. We see them in the bottom panel. They're standing over. Uh, a floor that's either carpet with inlays or it's tile and it's all got the, like the Mars yeah. logo M M's repeated as a pattern. And we see that again in the next page where she rushes at Jacqueline, Jacqueline easily just, you know, flips her over her back. Well, when she's then in that same panel, when Phoebe's on the ground, yep, it's a Brown floor. And then every other time then we see it again in the next page where she's on the ground but then when she comes out of the office and sees this, it's a full page and you see come out and all you see is loose papers and cardboard boxes and a bunch of loose trash. It's nothing. So I was trying to think where they were because it seemed like they were right outside that office anyway. Yeah, I think, um, I think it's basically Byrne just having a lot of fun with the design work here. It, it didn't bother me. I didn't catch the fact that it was there and vanishing there and vanishing. Um, you know, one thing that I'd learned when you lay tile in, in a house or in some sort of a structure that might get sold, uh, you never call your business uh, like Kirk's Comics. You never <laughs> insert your name into it because if you sell the, the company, that your name goes with it. Same thing is true for laying tile. Uh, at the Red Cross, we were going to put in a large red cross in the kitchen area. And somebody who had was a bit wiser than I was said, no, no, we may sell this at some point. We don't want to have this giant right. red cross. And that's right. exactly what happened. The thing got, did get sold, you know, the house was sold to another property owner who uh, who would not have liked that, not appreciated that. So I, I don't take this as, as literally that the floor is vanishing. I just have the impression that uh, there, Byrne is shooting this from different angles. Uh, if, you, if, it, 
in my head, you know, the, the brown or tan carpeting that she lands on, that's on one half of the, um, of the, the floor and the M's, the red M's, the tiles, and I think they are tiles. They're, uh, they're on the other half. Um, you know. yeah, it could be. It just I just thought that was interesting. It could be him not wanting to redraw that uh, over, over and over. Um, oh, it never. must have taken a long time. Oh. It's very meticulous. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, I don't know what we're going to... I don't know where Phoebe... I, I haven't read ahead. Like I said, I dropped... I think we both talked about... We I dropped the book pretty quick after he left doing art. And I stayed yeah. on maybe two, three, four issues, and then I just dropped it all together. So if yeah. she comes back in the later issues, I don't know. I'll have to I look into it. I know where this leads. Um, I won't spoil it for you. I, but but one of, I'll give you one of the theories. I immediately, my, my mind went to, oh, Super Scroll. <laughs> I just would not let that go. You know, I, I figured, oh, you know, he's stalking her. He met her in the Savage Land. And now yep. he's, you know, he's in the background someplace lurking. He could be any place. He could be hidden. And so I think you're supposed to immediately. He could be. There. Right. If he's trying to rebuild uh, a base to like he was in the Savage Land, then he might reach out to, because um, if she's a source of money or through her, maybe he can get back to Namor. I don't know. I, I never yeah. thought about that. I thought she was just imagining it. and It was kind of her. Either her guilt or her worry or her stress of the situation was having her see. Well, Burn is playing playing with you. Um, he's intentionally leaving this ambiguous, and I think part of it was to you know so that the reader would not know what was going on and have several different ideas or thoughts about it, whether it's a scroll, whether it's an impersonator, whether it's in her mind, or whether he faked his death. I don't believe that's an option. No. I firmly believe that he's off off the uh he offed himself. I was to say Yeah, yeah, I think he's I think he's he's he doesn't come back. Uh in this workout scene, this workout page we get with uh Namorita and uh Jacqueline the to explain that, you know, she was she was out of the book last issue because of Vince of uh New Warriors fourteen and now she's getting making a recovery and this is again namor kind of this scene is to show that one she's recovered so i guess she can come back into this book but also it, it reemphasizes this connection that she has with her cousin almost like a psychic link or kind of a thing that twins have that they can kind of feel each other and and the fact that he's not she can't feel him she brought this up earlier in the Savage Land. She knew where to go when he was held captive by the yeah. Super Scroll. She kind of so I don't know if that's a burn creation that they had yeah, this kind of connection. So he's uh, and that's that's really all that. And it's a little you know it's a little cheesecakey showing the, yes. the the two girls and their their leotards and you get to see very prominent images of Amarita's legs because uh, yes. I guess she was. Uh, I haven't read that book. I guess she was crucified in the New well, Warriors book. Um, I, I have looked the book up. I wouldn't have read it otherwise because I didn't follow that series. I think she's... Um, that's artistic license. She wasn't okay. crucified. Okay. But maybe I'll, if, 
you know, when this hits air, uh, I will uh, I will share some sh some uh, scans of that book and those particular issues so you can see how she was assaulted and uh, what happened. I have mm. well, we might as well deal with it right now. I I don't know that Byrne had approval of the character and where this was going. He may have been told by his editor or somebody else, oh, we're going to do this with, uh, you know, Nina over here in the New Warriors. Because I get the impression, what it was last issue, I think it was, where the first half, at least it was the last issue that I did, they're, they're wrapping up the clone saga. And she's hale and healthy, and she's uh, a little shocked by, by Namor's cold-heartedness or his firm rule of law. And then later in the book, She's in, in a hospital bed. She is recovering after being right. in. It is such a change up, and it is so clearly not part of Vern's storyline where he was taking the character. I wonder if it was forced on him, and I wonder if he's bitter about it. I have no way to confirm this. I haven't talked to him or heard him say anything, but uh, she was depicted on the cover of that issue when they're in Kunlun. But she is not there. And yeah, she's not there. So I yeah. have a feeling this was a change-up. And, you know, he's inserting this to get her back on her feet, so to speak. And I don't know where he was going to take her from here. But I have to wonder if, if you know, he's so sensitive to other people meddling in his characters. Uh, not to drag it all out, but uh, when he did She-Hulk and somebody else, another editor or somebody decided to uh, throw something in the graphic novel. Uh, he was P.O.'d and basically walked off the book because he wanted control of his character and didn't want somebody else to uh, to be meddling. That's as far as I'll go on that one. I um, want something similar happened here. It could have been. I'm sure that, to your point, they, these covers are sometimes done much in advance of the issue. So he could have drawn her thinking she was going to go to Kunlun. And then somebody came along and said, no, no, she's in this other book. She's going to get hurt. So you can't use her. So he had to put that panel in of her being uh, injured. And yeah. then she's not, that's why she explains why she didn't go to um, the Kunlun. And that, but this is the last thing I'll say on this. I think he, I think he would have to realize if you're working for a company that has multiple books where, characters cross over with each other. Yep. And you don't, you know, you don't own this character. You didn't create Namorita or anything else, but you have to, you know, I think you have to kind of play ball in that you want to, you know, characters are like, well, I'm using her because she's, I think a main character in the new warriors and she's more of a side character in this. She is part of Namor's support. Yes. Um, and I haven't read. I've got those issues. I think that's Mark Bagley art, and I like it. I love him, but I don't think I've read them. I've got them, but yeah, uh, that could be it. That he's now bringing her back, and I'm sure in that book that they didn't have her incapacitated for long. So now he's like, well, I can now. Yeah, um, it was a character bit. It was establishing. Yeah. Uh, it was establishing her her values and her morals. And that there's a line of retribution that she would not cross. Um, either that she's been pushed, that she's been injured, that she's been damaged. And when she has an opportunity to uh, basically to kill her, her, um, 
assaulter, her perpetrator, uh, she stopped short of that and saying, no, that's a line I won't cross. And I think that that was the intent in their series. They wanted to make that point. And right. so I think somebody told Byrne, you know, we can do it this issue, we can do it that issue, but make room in your storyline. We're going to do this to her. Yeah. And At she's still not, and she's down. really not in this issue or the next issue. Um, I, I've read 25, but I can't remember if she comes back in that one or not, but, um, yeah, yes, she does. Uh, she does. Okay. The, the, the part where Misty escapes from the, um, the plant creature that's trying to, he's literally putting her into this little pod thing. She breaks free with her bionic arm and she says she gets him. Even though it almost tore her arm off. Well, I kept thinking it back to if these are truly plant creatures, I would not think that gutting it, because it looks like it's laying on the ground. It does look like its intestines are out or something. Yeah, I don't um, think the gut is, is literal. And, and I don't, but I don't know if that would damage it, because I was thinking of if you've seen the Howard Hawks film, The Thing, from 1951. Yeah. The uh, James Arness character of the thing is a plant creature. So they talk about when they shoot it, said it doesn't bother it because it says just holes drilled in vegetable matter. So I would think this would be the same that you could rip an arm off and it wouldn't necessarily incapacitate it. You could gut it and it wouldn't, but it allows her to escape. And then she even does the same thing to another one using her, say her bionic arm. Um, and then that's when she pleads to, you know, she pounds on the pod, and that's what kind of awakens Iron Fist to where he's uh, he rejuvenates himself, and then and then she's very excited when he's out, and then he just he kind of uses up what little I see it as he's used up all his little energy that he had to defeat the plant creatures that are here, and then he collapses because he's was able to absorb what he had, and then he used all that to rescue them. It looks like he kills one, two, three, four, four or five of these plant creatures. And then he just passes out. And then we get the interlude with uh, with Wolverine fighting um, I noticed, decoy. I noticed something as he collapses. Uh, look at the word balloons for, uh, for Misty when she's crying, Danny, Danny, speak to me, Danny. And he's inert her word balloons are shaded a different color uh the the printing the lettering in my scan they're yellow yellow yeah, they're kind yellow. of an orangey yellow in mine and all in the rest of the book you don't see that on anybody else's thought balloons no matter whether she's talking or somebody else it's an odd shift and i hadn't noticed it until just now i don't think it means anything um i don't know if it's a yeah i don't know if it's a Printing mistake, or if it's to to convey some type of emotion, I I, I, I think it's emotion. Yeah, I think he's just supposed uh, to not, show that she's because in her when he first breaks free, and she's you see that lower panel that she's smiling and she yells Danny. She's got kind of a jagged word balloon. Um, but yeah, that was a, um, and I wanted to. You said that uh, you said you were going to comment on the title of this, which is unlike. Yeah, are we, not, are we 
finished. Yeah, I think with... we've kind of we've well. The only last thing is the little bit with Wolverine, where we see that he is now fully controlled by the the Hyacinth, and that he they've got him to kill this uh, kind of animated mannequin plant dummy, whatever it is, and Plant Man, you know, gloats that now he's their he's their greatest weapon, knowing that they can use him when they go to take over the planet. Um, Tim, are you familiar with the James Bond movie from Russia with love? I am very familiar with that film. The opening sequence pre, I believe it's pre title sequence. It is, is a hunting stalking sequence. Vaguely, uh, vaguely similar to this where Bond is being stalked by red grant, a killer. And in fact, is strangled to death. Turns out it's not Bond. It's somebody wearing a latex mask. But that's neither here nor there. I had a vibe when I read this, reread this. I had an impression that this was maybe an homage to that. Um, it's not very strong, but it just popped into my head because it's a hunting sequence testing somebody in a mansion at night. So. Right, right. If you were if you were just look at this with uh, the the panel where the 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 intruder is, is it's, it's all in silhouette, and yeah. that could you could easily be could that be Namor? Could it be um, any some other body? Somebody else investigating this place could be a police officer. Could be Spider Man. It could be anybody. And then we see a silhouette of Wolverine uh, hop on him and just basically. Um, vivisect him and we realize that it's uh, some kind of a, a plant um your artificial warrior as he calls it um and that's a nice shot of wolverine at the bottom obviously he's he's completely naked uh you know to your point he does have white eyes which is i guess to show his that's convey his mindlessness or his savagery mm-hmm. and he's got both of his you guys all his claws are popped but the um, let me move on real quick. The title, which is uh, "Like Unto a Thing of Iron," uh, I guess that's a quote right out of the first appearance of uh, Iron Fist, where he Marvel. I think it's Marvel premiere where he shows up for the first time, and that's from like panel seven or page nineteen or something. Yeah, explaining his. Um, I recognize it's the expression that they use whenever they want to invoke the power or, or mm-hmm. aestheticism. But um, I have another interpretation of it, uh, an adult interpretation that I'm going to mention once and then drop. Okay. But I know that the, the people that are buying this book, they're basically 95% male um, readership. And I think there's another play on words. Play on words? Possibly. I mean, yeah, I, like, if you want to, I think you can read it either way. Yeah. Um, well, that's and, all I'll say about that. I just, well, every time I hit that, that phrase, I stumble over it. One, because it's awkward English, but two, it also popped in my head saying, I wonder if they're being clever here. So, well, anyway. if you look at, if you look at the cover art again. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yep. I agree. Um, it's kind of like, and I don't know if he has to evoke that. It's almost like He-Man says, by the power of Grayskull. 
you know, when he transforms, it's like that. Yeah, it's a catchphrase. I got that. Uh, Well, before we move on to mine, keep in mind the... I'll make a comparison between the artwork in this and the issue I'm fixing to cover because this is Wycheck doing the inks and it's not so much the coloring because the coloring is a different colorist too, but it's mostly the inking is going to be a big difference between this and the um, the one I'm fixing to get into, which is issue 24. All right, you ready? Yes, sir. Let's go. All right, let's get into 24, which would be what our... Penultimum? Am I using that word right? Penultimum? Yeah, I was going to say that too. Uh, okay, Namor Submariner issue 24. Uh, again, we talked about that. I think the last issue was the first one when it went to a buck and a quarter. Uh, and that's when they started for a while. They increased pricing pretty regularly. They went, I think then it went to 150, then 175. Then I think it jumped to like two twenty five. I don't remember the comics being at two two dollars. And then it was two fifty, two seventy five, three, three, you know, it just kept going up. Okay. Our writer, artist, inker is John Byrne. So in this issue, he's inking himself. Our colorist is Glennis Ween, so she's returned. And Byrne is back to lettering the book himself. Our cover art is John Byrne. Our editor is Terry Cavanaugh. And our editor-in-chief is still Tom DeFalco. This uh, this had a release date of January 7th, 1992. So we're almost... Uh, we're recording this on one week after the anniversary of this book. Uh, I had a cover date of March 1992. 36 pages, 22-year story. Um, the other two books that he did at the time of this release was... He is continuing his Next Men work. So he did uh, John Byrne's Next Men number two. And he did Sensational She-Hulk, number 37. Namor the Submariner, number 24, Green War. Greenwich Village, New York City. A quiet evening at Dr. Sang- Dr. Strange's Sanctum Sanctorum. A portal opens up in Misty Night, Colin Wing, Namor, carrying, and Namor carrying the unconscious Danny Ram emerge. The group are pursued through the portal by several monstrous vines. The master of the mystic arts casts a spell and destroys them and closes the portal. Doctor Strange inquires about Iron Fist's condition, and Namor explains they found him in a feeding pod, captive of the Hyacinth. His life signs are very low. Misty begs the sorcerer to save his life. Stephen Strange informs the group Danny's condition is stable, but he cannot tell if he will make if the young man will make a full recovery. He tells a worried Misty that he feels it's Danny's undying love for her that kept him alive these past months. Misty is reassured by Colin that Danny's love for her is true and forever as two leave to sit by his side. Then Strange asks Namor about Kunlun. The Prince of the Sea explains Iron Fist hurt the Hyacinth during their escape and our heroes managed to free the surviving residents of the mystical city who remained behind to rebuild the city under the leadership of Li Kung the Thunderer. Strange explains the intelligent plants conquered the world before the humans and the peace and the peace between the two has always been fragile. The Hyacinths see humans as an infestation. Plant ruled by plants? It's a madhouse! A madhouse! exclaims Namor. <laughs> Not really. Uh, Stephen suggests plants could be uh, establishing a beachhead on Earth as, as two pixies look on. 
New Jersey, the New Jersey base of the Plant Man and Seth the Garm. William Benjamin and Weed, Sam Smithers' hench people, voice their concerns about the, the hyacinth. They are creeped out by the walking salad bar and the hairy guy. Plant Man reassures them they will be well rewarded, well rewarded for their work, and he suggests the two men check the perimeter while he spends some time with the young woman. The hired help, the hired help, run into the theft cigar in the hallway. The hyacinths question them and tells them not to lie. Before the two can protest, they are attacked by vines. Weed, weed which is the name of the young one, is startled by the screams, and Smithers tells her not to worry for her share of the proceeds has just increased. Back to the Sanctum Sanctorum. Dr. Strange explains there are three areas where Earth and Kunlun intersect. One is in the mountains of Tibet, which is where Iron Fist first made his way to the city. One is a vestigial opening, years old, that was once that once transmitted an unknown form of energy to Earth. And the last shifts across the planet, it's currently in a stationary position in New Jersey. Stephen warns if the hyacinth invade the planet, it could mean the death of the whole animal kingdom. New York. The offices of Detective Raphael Scarf. Tyrone King is just finishing explaining his plan to the officer. His true identity must not be revealed. Scarf asks why reveal the plan if he plans to wipe the police officer's mind, and King explains it pleases him to tell his tale because he spent so much time on it and see the detective's eyes grow wide with wonder. Scarf tells him he won't get away with it. His ego compelled him to leave clues to his real name, and it'll get, cause him to get caught. Tyrone continues his monologue. The name of Tyrone King means master, and the English translation of King are clues to his true identity. Have you at home figured it out? Time for the mind wipe. King reaches out to the detective with a pale-skinned hand with long talons. New York, later that evening, excuse me, New Jersey, later that evening. Namer pulls up in a cab to Cramden Heights, an abandoned estate and current base of the plant man. Namer confirms the grounds are the location of the third intersection point. The Atlantean hops the wall and notices the ground vegetation is not winter bare, but is thriving. A shadowy figure jumps from a nearby tree and attaches the avenging sun. A figure with three shiny claws on each hand. The two engage in a heated battle each countering the other's attack. Namor notices Wolverine is controlled by a vine-like tendril. Namor tries to take advantage of the control vine, but Wolverine responds with a savage attack. Namor responds in kind. He uproots a tree when a voice orders him to stop. Namor recognizes the plant man. Smithers recalls his backstory and explains he has always been an agent of the hyacinth. Plant man backstory. He began as a simple gardener, experimenting with a device to control plants to the irritation of his employers. He hoped to increase the intelligence of plants and control and continue to modify his device. One night, during a thunderstorm, he tried one last time. Bolt of lightning struck him, and to his amazement, he was not harmed, and the device worked. The plants obeyed his commands. He donned a plant-themed costume and embarked on a career of crime, where he eventually encountered the Submariner. In flashback. Namer knows all this, but how did he become involved with the hyacinth? It's clear the plant people, it's clear the plant people wanted an agent on Earth, and Smithers would make a good ally. They opened a small portal, sent an energy beam to his device, 
The plant man is angered. His speech is interrupted by Sith Sithgarm. The plant folks have no more need for their earthly ally, and a vine grabs plant man and disposes of him. The Hyathans know Iron Fist has escaped and knows Namor assisted. They must accelerate their invasion plans. The ground erupts around the Atlantean, and he is encased in living vines. Within a week, they, the Hyacinth tell him every human within 1,000 miles will be enslaved. To be continued. Next issue, the finale. Good summary. I stumbled, yeah, I stumbled a bit. That's because I can't read my own writing. Well, uh, <laughs> you, you dropped a couple of nice jokes in there as well. Yeah. Um, you want to go through this? Yeah. you have more comments? No, 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 that's it. Um, well, my only comment I'll say is this issue, both, I think, thematically and just visually, is much darker than the one you yeah. covered. Yeah. One, it takes place at night, mostly. But I think it's Byrne doing his own inking. It looks a little uh, dark and muddy. And we've made that comment before when he inks himself. So it's not as crisp as uh, when Wycheck was doing it in the previous issue. Especially the fight with Wolverine at the end. That is looks like he's inking uh, just rough pencils. And it looks a little rushed. Um, the layouts are nice, but it's just not very detailed. Not what I expect from Byrne. I think um, you're right. I had yeah. it crossed my mind uh, since his um, his Wolverine figures are covered with body hair. Um, I had wondered if he was going to try to say this wasn't Wolverine, but that this was um, a plant. Yeah, a plant or a substitute or or something that he was going to try to pull switch. Maybe that has something to do with that. But uh, you know, it's it's a quick and savage fight. Uh, I find it hard to believe that one person can yell stop and that both of them would stop. <laughs> yeah. But uh, the big reveal, the big uh, flash of the appearance of the plant man, um, this is a throwback to his first appearance back in Strange Tales, uh, the Human Torch series. Uh, can't I think, it, did they tell you it was 114 someplace? I, I, I looked it up, but I forgot to write it down. But you're right. He he is a villain of the Torch, and right. the Torch defeated him. Um, and I, he's kind of dressed like the Shadow. He's got just a long overcoat and a, a mask yeah. over his face. Um, and that's and later. First, I was surprised to see this. That is his first appearance, his first garb. And I was very surprised and relieved that they didn't that Byrne didn't dress him as uh, Buscema did. He's got him in flashback here where um, at the end of the flashback on page 27, where Namor is in some sort of a tube and plant man is gloating in front of a screen that shows London being choked by the Leviathan. Mm -hmm. That was such a stupid costume. Oh my gosh. That's the only time as I recall that he's ever been garbed in that. Uh, they don't really do a good job to show how portly he was drawn, how heavy set. Um, scrolling back up to the top of that page, there's one shot of him in a much more creative plant man costume. And I, 
I think that's from his appearances in the X-Men issues 20 and 21, where he he's part of an ensemble team. But, you know, that costume is also pretty funky. Well, um, it's I think that's the costume he has in Ohatmu. That's what I'm thinking of him, not the one where he... And the, the one at the bottom looks more like a jester, because you can see his yeah. face, and he's got plant stuff all around him. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's hard to make a... Poison Ivy is probably the only character that successfully created a plant-based costume. Uh, right. I, I did look it up, though. Apparently, he all I could find was he encountered Namor once, and that was in uh, Submariner number 3, 1968. That's where, to your point, he... He had uh, animated a coral reef. That's the Leviathan that was threatening right. London. Two. But he was defeated by Namor and uh, the Inhuman right. Triton. And I think yeah. that's their only encounter. So it is. Obviously, Bernard just pulled him in as his character because he has a connection to the Hyacinth, the plant folks. Well, and he didn't have a connection with them until now. Right. Burn is retcon that. Exactly. Burns explaining things and trying to justify things. But uh, there was no connection until this issue, uh, you know, where, where his origin is tied in with them. And right. okay, I guess it makes sense if Burn wants to do that. Um, but I don't think he's a terribly strong character. I don't think he's a very, very smart character. I mean, if he didn't see that this this comeuppance was coming. He's really stupid. But the fact that he dresses in his original outfit, you know, that's... I don't see a reason for it. it uh, maybe it's Burnfield's, like, to your point, Burnfield's that costume was silly, and he wanted to put him in something something else, uh, his original. Um, and think about the his, his demise is very similar to uh, Meacham in the previous storyline. You know, Meacham was all caught up with the Super Scroll and it never dawned on him that he might get kind of uh, uh, double-crossed. And the same with, uh, why would why would the, the Hyacinth, if they hate all animals or any kind of, you know, animal kingdom, why would they, even though he's helping them, why would they have anything to do with him after the... Uh, they accomplished a goal after they destroyed everything. So he's going to be, um, is he going to be alone, the lone surviving human in this world where everybody else is dead? Or maybe it's more, they are going to control the rest of the humans. They're not going to kill them. They'll use some for feeding and then they'll control the other ones. You know, uh, I would have thought it was, it would have been made it better if now reference the doctor who story again, in that there, story, there is a uh, a very wealthy uh, man who's a who's big into botany, and he has kind of a, a sense of the kind of like poison ivy in Batman and Robin, that yeah. he feels plants are the true dominant species. You know, he 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 covets plants over uh, humans. So if the plant man felt like no, plants have been mistreated, you know, all this time by humans, and humans deserve to die. So plants are a better species. That that would lead into his uh, 
motivation more, but he just seems to be, he's in it for the money or just the power because he tells the, um, his hench people the, and he's got this young woman named weed who, uh, he says, you know, cause they, what does she say? He says, uh, is very worried about all this? And she says, um, uh, you and the vegetable guys are really going to be able to do all that. I think, oh, he says a new world order is about to change. That peace will come at last to the tired old planet. I wish Byrne would have expounded on that a little more. If his idea is that the plants are going to, it's that same old sci-fi trope of, well, we're going to control everybody so there'll be peace. And I think that's what they're getting at. So I, I wish they just, you know, fleshed that out a little more instead of just being the henchman that's helping these plant guys. And then they dispose of his two henchmen right away. Yeah, the the fact that she's called Weed. Yeah, this, that's a, you know this is very much a throwback to Batman, right? The TV show with the the henchmen that have the stupid names. Um, right. The the but the other two guys are just uh, muscle. Yeah, Hired. but they they oh, they don't have they don't have they're not they don't have plant based names. They are like uh, Benjamin yeah, well, and William. They're just there to show the ruthlessness of um, uh, his, this, the Thagar. The Thagar. Yeah. And, I, didn't, um, I, I didn't have the impression that the, that, that he, this plant was truly uh, inquiring of them. I had the impression this was a setup, that they were always going to be killed. And yeah. this, this was just, this is the payoff. Uh, he didn't. He didn't really expect to gain anything from them. They were being executed either with the plant man's knowledge or not. Um, well, this is also the first time we've seen any hench people. In the previous, it's always it, been just plant man and the the hyacinth. You're right. There have been no other no other helpers, and so they seem to kind of come in unexpectedly, and then they're disposed of immediately. Um, yeah. So, I wonder if the story was truncated. That it was. That's short. what I'm wondering. Yeah, if it would have been more. Um, and that's the. You would text me. You thought you found a. You want to talk about? It, you thought you found a, a plot a plot uh, hole. Well, I, a plot hole. <laughs> yeah, you know when we talk about these things in in pairs, we're doing 23 and 24 right now, but in some ways. I think 24 and 25 um, demonstrate the possibility that Byrne was wrapping things up or was was hustling things along pretty quickly because there was a change in direction coming. Mm -hmm. I, I did, can't really explain it terribly well, except I see a lot of loose, what I call loose threads, uh, storylines, plot lines that were clearly in the story in the narrative that he's talking about but they don't seem to go anywhere which makes me think he had more plans and they got changed and i'll tell you two of them right off the top here when we saw iron fist last issue collapse at the end of his freeing of misty night you don't see his face uh you see him in the fight but when he collapses, his face is hidden from you in two 
successive panels where there's a comment saying, you know, oh, Danny, you know, are, are you all right? Clearly, he's not. That's one. Two, when we start this issue, 24, he's being carried by uh, Namor. They come through the portal. They lay him out on the floor. And there's, you know, she's like, oh, boo-hoo, please don't let him die. I couldn't bear to lose him again. Then there's an immediate jump in time where Dr. Strange first doesn't quite look like himself. Both he and Wong are very, I don't want to say stylized, but um, now that I look at them, they don't quite look right. And all that we learn from this is like, yeah, he's stable, but I can't guarantee that he's going to, um, you know, he's going to be, how does he phrase this? As to whether he will ever completely recover, that's beyond my skills to say. I have the impression that this was supposed to be a lead-in to an Iron Fist story, a separate title where Byrne was going to tweak with the character or he's setting it up so the next creative team can play with the character and do some changes, whether it's his face or wherever they wanted to take it. I have the feeling this was a launch point and the book didn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah, I, I agree. It feels, and I wonder if, Byrne himself was going to do the book or he just didn't want his creation to have died. He wanted to bring him back. Right. So he, uh, well, that's not really his creation. He didn't create Iron Fist, but he did the bulk of the work in right. his original series. So I'm sure he feels he very protective of him. How they ended it. Right. So this whole, whole shenanigan about the search for Iron Fist has all been, an attempt to undo the untimely death that ended Iron Fist Power Man's series. Right. Well, when we, and I'm not going to spell anything here, but when we cover our next issue, 25, and things are revealed, Byrne is also dealing with another character's death that he didn't like, and he's kind of rewriting it. But I'll talk about that when we cover that one. Okay. Um, I agree with that. The page, page four, where you see Strange comes out, he almost looks like the uh, the leader. He's got a very big forehead. Yeah. Um, and the mustache doesn't help, but uh, and, and which is nice. He harkens. He, he comments on the fact that uh, he was a surgeon at one point. You know, so he, not only is he trying to help him mystically, he's also a doctor. So he was trying to help him medically, and he that's what he kind of confirms that you know misty is all you know excited that you know it was his love that kept him alive and then um uh, namor and burn go going about the the whole they have like two pages of about that they could be developing a um uh, a beachhead here and they could be trying to invade this planet um and that's when uh well we get to it later oh uh, we get to the Oh, we talked about the, the openings or the intersections. Yeah, you that, want to talk about that now? Yeah, that's, uh, you know, one is the, the one we all know about, which is up in the, the uh, Himalayan mountains in Tibet, right. which is where Iron Fist originally, his I think his, his story is, his, it's much like um, Lost Horizon. Their plane crashed, they made it into Kunlun because it apparently 
will intersect every 10 years. And he was able to get in there. That's why he, he couldn't come back. Then there's one other one. He just, and this has got to be a burn creation. He says it's a, it's a vestigial opening, small, that's many years old, that all he can tell is that they some an unknown form of energy was beamed through it. And that is the, that's how the plant man, that's that bolt of lightning that he's saying that when plant man uh, was hit by that bolt of lightning and it affected his gun and his gun started to work. That's the, the highest then, I guess, somehow we're sensing the gun he was using was on the same wavelength that they, they responded to. So they wanted to help him. So they somehow blasted his gun to make it work so he could control plants. And that's when he became plant man. Yeah, they're but, a pair of shears. Yeah, I know. I couldn't tell what those were, but they <laughs> I realized they are shears, aren't they? Yeah. Uh, Flippers, because he was a gardener. He was a gardener. But the plot hole I find in that is that apparently when he becomes a plant man and he encounters a torch, the torch defeats him, and the torch destroys his gun. Well, then he rebuilds, he says, a better gun. But I don't think it's revealed that the, the hyacinth affected that gun. So did he just know, how does that second gun work? If they were the ones that were the catalyst to make his first shears function, how does his second device work unless they're interfering again? Or he just gained the knowledge from the first one and was able to um, reverse engineer it. Yeah. I don't know. but uh, And then there's the one that's in New Jersey that apparently, uh, I guess the Hyacinth can create portals to earth and this one floats around i guess but right now it's on new jersey which is where the um their their quarter their headquarters are um the the one page or the two pages with tyrone king that's your page and a half yeah um where we get him it, it's been re revealed that this is not tyrone king this is somebody pretending to be him and we get more hints at that and then he even lays out even more hints of, and I know who he is, but I wonder if anybody else was able to, to, because he almost comes out and says that, you know, he says Tyrone, which means king, we established that in other issues, or it means master. And that king itself being, but the English translation of my title. So I guess if you're, you're an observant reader. You might be able to put those together. And and, um, and then when he pulls up his hand, because he's, Tyron King is an African-American, and he pulls up his hand, and it's a, it's a white hand. It's a Caucasian hand, but he's got yeah. these long talons. Right. And he, he kind of, I don't think he literally pushes it into the detective's head, but he, like, phases it in because he's going to mind wipe him. Right. And that later comes, that later comes, the next issue I know reveals a lot of complicated plots all kind of coming together. I, uh, I'm not sure where I learned this, but I believe this twist, as far as the name goes, Tyrone King, I think that was suggested by Roger Stern. And since Byrne and Stern are such close friends, mm -hmm. I think he took it. Um, it could have been, 
could easily have been it. Yeah. I, I can't um, remember where, if that was in the letters pages or if that's a footnote someplace, but I believe that's Roger Stern lending his buddy a, a helping a, hand, help a hand on, on how this could play out. Um, I wasn't so shocked by his uh, reaching his clawed hand, you, you know, his, his uh, what do I want to say? His left hand affecting the mind of uh, Rafe um, in this issue, this panel, top of page 15, it didn't bother me like it will next issue when he does it again. On the, uh, on the yeah, yeah. It's amazing for me with the next cover. I this was going. I couldn't solve this because I didn't know who this character was. or I didn't either when I first read this. And then uh, when I was doing some backstory on another character that's already been in the book, uh, some of that tied in. And then it ties into uh, some stuff we've already covered. It gets very, very convoluted. Yep. Um, that's next issue. That's next issue, yep. And then we go our our fight scene. It's again it's except this all takes place at night. That's yep. why this book is dark. Um and the inking is dark. Um Namor basically Namor basically takes a cab. He can't still can't fly. You think he would have one of his uh he 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 runs Oracle. You think he would have a car service that could drive him out there. But he um you know and, the, and I don't know what that, what do you think on page 15? Is that a flashlight or some kind of device he's holding up to tell I this is the intersect the point? That something given to him by Dr. Strange. That's what I was wondering. Uh, to tell that he knows that's the third interface. Um, and to, to your point of uh, the, 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 the tie-in with um, the Bond film, we kind of get a recreation of possibly the last issue, that last scene where somebody is rummaging through the uh, the grounds, and then as he's attacked by Wolverine, who's I guess apparently just hanging out in the trees, um, which is very much like um, with this tendril that's around him. That's that's kind of his control or his control device. Um, there's a uh, Film from the '90s, based on a comic of the '90s called *Virus*. It's a Jamie Lee Curtis and Donald Sutherland um, and Stephen Baldwin, I think, film. And it's about a uh, and spoilers for a movie that's at least 20 years old. Um, uh, it's about a, an alien virus that infects a ship, and they use um, they, they. It's a kind of a horror film, so they get you get hybrids of body parts and mechanics uh, kind of cybernetically put together to create these kind of creatures. And they all have a wire that trails off behind them to control them to like the main computer system. So that's kind of reminded me of this, that he's got this wire. He's like a, he's like a drone or like a, um, like a submersible revert, you know, like a wire guided, um, Submersible, you know, it's got a tether. Right. Um, and then that this is the, I think the these three pages are where the, the artwork looks the worst. Um, it's dark. It's very heavily handed with the inking. There's not a lot of detail in Namor's face. 
um, Wolverine's the the to your point. Wolverine, I think Byrne was the one that started drawing Wolverine with all the hair on him when he would, when he was doing the X Men, and he was and it was very meticulous the way he drew him as being a very hairy guy. And this looks a little it just looks rushed. Yeah, he may have been rushed, or it may have been told that the direction of, of the, the story had to change. Um, this is obviously the payoff, though. I mean, this has been promoted last issue, uh, Green War. We note on the cover that this is, is the big fight between Wolverine and, and Namor. Uh, so this is this is the payoff. This is why he brought Wolverine into this book. Exactly. For, you know, to, for this fight and to attract attention. Um, he must have gotten permission from the X-Men editor. Oh, I want to borrow the character for two, three issues uh, just for a confrontation, and then he'll be released. There will be no consequences from this. So, uh, you know, this is this parallels the, raise in, the rise in price to $1.25. Well, this was the 90s or the beginning of the 90s where Wolverine was kind of in everything because they thought he was a, a, a major selling point. So he just showed up in every book. Um, right. But, well, that's um, my interpretation of why he's brought in. Otherwise, I can't think of a real reason why he needs to be in this story, uh, except that, you know, he, he gets taken and, uh, you know, subjugated just the same way as the Thunderer was. So other than that, we don't see. Well, we do. We see him. He again? doesn't. Yes, yeah, he doesn't do really. He doesn't play a big part. He's just a tool to be controlled by the the plants, and to fight. Unless he wanted to. Unless he wanted to draw Wolverine again, or he wanted to draw a confrontation between Wolverine and Namor, or, you know, he just said, "Well, I I have to have a hero that is kind of." subjugated here so that Namor obviously is not going to kill him or destroy him. So who can I use? And he just thought, well, I need somebody who's savage and, you know, so I'll use Wolverine. So to your point, I think it's just, he just wanted, needed a body to get in there. And he, once he serves his purpose, I think he's gone. Um, looking back to see if there's anything else we needed to cover. No, I think that's. I mean, it, it's leading up to the big, the big finale of this, of this storyline, and then it kind of carries on from the, the storylines that have been peppered in, like with Tyrone King, that storyline. Uh, I don't think Mars. I don't think Mars or TV show up nope. uh, in the next one. And then after that, I don't remember because I haven't read those. In 30 years. That'll come a little later on. Yeah. I have one very small thing if, um, on the, the debut of debut, the appearance of Plant Man in his trench coat, mm -hmm. uh, that particular page. Um, you know, there are a couple different ways that you can look at artwork, figure and background or uh, space and negative space, what have you. Didn't occur to me until just now as I've, I'm scanning through this online. And about halfway down the, the page, below the plant man's left elbow, there is a white letter R 
that's formed by the negative space in the black um, leaves of that tree. It's not terribly obvious, and it may not jump out at you, but it, it caught my eye this time. It's like the R of, of uh, Robin's emblem from DC Comics, mm -hmm. uh, his chest emblem. There's one there, and then if you look over on the other side of the page, um, just below his right hand that's curled into a fist, there's sort of a face. Yeah, uh, I see that. It's kind of a two dots and a like a mouth below it. Right. Yeah, I don't, I I don't think these are actually intended. Um, they're just strange artifacts. Maybe the R is, but I can't think of what the connection would be or why it would be there. Um, it doesn't stand for anything. It doesn't tie into any character mm -hmm. at all. But the other thing I wanted to ask, well, once again, coming back to the plant man's costume is, why is he in costume? Namor has never seen this appearance of him. And he says, oh, don't you recognize me? I thought you would. It's like, why? He's never seen him dressed like this, one. Two, why is he costumed at all? For the last two, three issues, yeah. we have seen him uh, just as Smithers, a man with a uh, pudgy man with uh, no particular costume. Why does he get dressed up? It just You made a, a good observation. He looks like the shadow. Yes, he does. Did that movie come out at this point, or is it a couple of years away? Oh, we talked about that. That movie is uh, it is early '90s. It could have already, uh, it could have already. Uh, let me. Uh, Nineteen ninety-four. So it hasn't come out yet. Okay. Um, and we also talked just a little bit about um, his tool is a pair of shears with. Some sort of a ray or some sort of a, I don't recall exactly what it did in the original story. But that's very, this is very much a clear depiction and retelling mm -hmm. and somewhat accurate of how the plant man occurred. Except that he claims that he got his power, his abilities from the hyacinth, which is a revision. That was never part of it. That's so. a retcon. And apparently just from, and I really know nothing about the plant man. Apparently, currently in the comics, he has actually become a plant. He has oh. like a yeah. Something has happened, and he has become plant-like. So he looks very. He looks almost like the hyacinth himself. He doesn't look. He's not human anymore. I guess it's just their way of. He doesn't need a gun anymore. He can just be a plant person. But well, as we will find out in the next issue, uh, they leave yet up in the air as to what his his actual status right. is. But to, to your point, he was brought in, played his part, then he was taken off the board. So somebody else could use him. But yeah, I thought um, other than I thought this was an interesting story. I mean, it was a lot of flashback. We got a lot of uh, exposition in this, and some I think like we talked about a couple unnecessary scenes, like the henchman and the the you know other than the. The fight with Wolverine, which I thought was a little subpar. Um, it, it was an interesting story. I mean, to your point, why is a plant man in costume? We get, I think, a little too much of his backstory to explain his connection with the... Uh, and he does seem awfully gullible if he is did not suspect that they were going to um, 
just double cross him and use him for what they need him for. And I don't honestly know why they needed him. What did he, other than a base to hide on, what did he do? Was he, was he partially involved with their ability to control people? Well, I think it's just like the hired muscle. Yeah. Uh, Smithers was a tool. He, he found the location. He found the, the, um, the New Jersey uh, mansion with the greenhouse so that the Hyacinth can operate from there in their plan that will be revealed next issue. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, it's the setup for them to make their move. I was a bit surprised. Again, we're going a little bit ahead here. I was a little bit surprised to see that the Hyacinth are so far along with their plan that, uh, you know, th this actually is the last gasp stop uh, before it was unleashed. It was only a matter of hours before it would have been accomplished if you can trust the writing. So, you know, was he needed? Well, we don't know what all he did in the background as far as growing plants or or spores or, you know, we don't know, but it's kind of assumed that they needed him to get ready for their big move, which will be revealed next issue. So I got one last thing on this book, the tight shot, the last page uh, where Namor is being wrapped in vines again. What color are his irises? They're green. Yeah. Um, it's going back and I, forth. I didn't think he was supposed to have green eyes. I thought they were supposed to be blue, but I don't know. I haven't done enough research. If you, lovely listener, know the answer to that question, please write us at gottagetburned at gmail.com or on our Facebook page and let us know uh, what you know about Namor's eye color or if you have any comments about this or any other of the issues that we covered. And you better do it quick because we're coming up quick on the end of our coverage so uh let us know what you think of it have we been too tedious have we been splitting hairs or has this been a good series for you we want to know so let us know well i've yes please please or reach out on facebook that's another great place to uh, uh let's look for third degree burn on facebook that's our page where you'll find most of the postings kirk has done a great job of planning little hints and teasers and kind of clues to what we're covering or just popping up uh, questions. So he's done a great. You've done doing a great job of that, Kirk. Um, let us know if we're pronouncing. I know we're not pronouncing hyacinth right. Let us know. How do you pronounce hylith three uh, Whatever. Um, but that's a great place to to reach us, and that's where you find most of the shows posted. Uh, I think Kirk, we talked about that issue twenty five. We'll do as a standalone. That's Burns' last uh, artwork on that one, and then we might do a show as a uh, just a quick synopsis of the other issues he did as a writer. It'll be, you know, one show we may cover the five or six issues, and it'll be quick little plot points. We're not going to go in depth and go about talk about the artwork and stuff like that. Just more about the plot while he stayed on the show and see what he wrapped up before he left. Um. So yeah, we're we're closing in. We are uh, almost at the end of this, and uh, this has been a lot of fun, Kirk. I look forward to uh, whatever we're going to tackle next. All right, all right, okay. Well, for third degree burn, I am Tim Elliott, and I, again, I want to thank Kirk for always for joining me. Uh, I want to thank our listeners for listening this long. 
That's your cue, Kirk. Sorry. Oh, sorry. Yes. Thanks. We'll see you next issue. Underwater and go flying through the air. You can find us and many other great shows at tutufreaks.com. That's T-W-O-T-R-U-E-F-R-E-A-K-S.com. Third Degree Burn is spelled with the number three, R-D-D-E-G-R-E-E-B-Y-R-N-E, and is part of the Tutu Freaks network of shows. Follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Just look for Third Degree Burn, spelled with the number three, and Burn spelled B-Y-R-N-E. Compliments, complaints, and recipes can be sent to gottagetburned at gmail.com. That's G-O-T-T-A-G-E-T-B-Y-R-N-E-D at gmail.com. Drop us a line and tell us how we're doing. Till next time, this has been Third Degree Burn. Some men aren't looking for anything logical, like money. They can't be bought, bullied, reasoned, or negotiated with. Some men just want to watch the world burn.